Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Good morning. Is this on? Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. My, my name is Todd. I'm part of the team here at uh, Collective Church. If you're joining us online, it's a pleasure to have you. If you're joining us in person, it's a pleasure to see you. Uh, we are in a series right now at Collective called Extraordinary, um, where we're taking a deep dive. We're looking at the book of Proverbs. And for those of you that may not be familiar, Proverbs was written by a man named Solomon. And Solomon was the son of King David. Um, This was the same David who was once a shepherd boy who grew up and um, slayed the giant Goliath. And he had a son, Solomon. And when David eventually passed away, his son Solomon became king. And what set Solomon apart um, as a king from other kings was that he he wasn't necessarily concerned with status or riches or or wealth, he took a look at his situation. He's entrusted with governing over God's people, and he goes, I need some help. <laughs> so he approaches God. He approaches God, and uh, he goes, God, I need wisdom. He says, God, I need wisdom and discernment to do this. And God was impressed. He was impressed with Solomon. So God granted Solomon that wisdom, and Solomon went and wrote this chapter of the Bible called Proverbs that we're looking at um, today. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, which centers on God's expectation of our work ethic, which is devastating, I know. Um, No one wants to talk about work on a Sunday. I understand for a lot of us, uh, Sunday is our our Sabbath day. Uh, But this Sunday, we, we are going to talk about work for a little bit because the way we approach our work and our attitudes towards our work in 2022 are in jeopardy. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of discourse and, and conversation in North American culture that, um, on whether we, we work too much or we work too little. A lot of us are anxious and stressed out about our work. Some of us don't like showing up for work. Um, but a lot of us have forgotten why we work at all. Um, <clears throat> in, August of, in August of 2021, I'm not sure if, if, um, if you aren't aware, Four million Americans quit their jobs, August of 2021. And not just, not just over the span of the year. We're talking one month, four million people. That's 2.9% of the workforce just got up and said, I'm done. <clears throat> like That's like an, uh, an eruption of dissatisfied people, right? They called it, it was a, there was a term called the great resignation. It represented this shift where <clears throat> um, a lot of people just got up and decided they, that they were going to quit. And we look at a number like 4 million, and it's, that number should be alarming for us. It makes me think, okay, 4 million people, is that a flash in the pan? Or how many, how many more people are dissatisfied and discontent with their work? What does that say about our, our, our attitudes and our, our cultural values when it comes to, to work? So today I want to talk about I want to talk about a few different things. First, I want to try and look at history, both biblically and culturally, to try and figure out how we've arrived where we are today. 
Second, I want to try and pinpoint where we might have gone wrong in regards to our work and try and pinpoint how our perspective on work ultimately, or sorry, how our attitudes on work ultimately have an effect on our perspective. And then lastly, I just want to talk about what God expects. What does God expect of us and our work and how do we move forward? I want to pray for us and then without further ado, let's get, let's get to work. <clears throat> Dear God, oh God, I need you right now. Um, God, I, I, I ask that, um, Lord, that you just open up our hearts today. Lord, we, as, we, as we receive challenging scripture, Lord, I just ask that um, you empower us to um, make a change in our lives, Lord, and self-reflect and go, Lord, what, what, what do I need to be, what change do I need to make? What do I need to be doing so that I can bring and exemplify you in the world, Lord? What does it look like for me to use my work and bring your presence? Lord, I ask that um, you bless every person in this room and online, and, and Lord, that you just open up our hearts. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you come into this space and Lord, I just ask that um, your words be, my words be your words, and that you speak through me into the hearts of others. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. Okay, so let's dive in. Proverbs 6, verse 6 through 11 reads like this. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little more folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Now, for context, <clears throat> I have to be honest. As I was reading this scripture for this first time, I had, to, I had to look at other translations of the Bible to address this term, lazy bones. <laughs> you, read a, you read a word like lazy bones and it sounds, like, it sounds like something your mother would call you or something. Like if you slept in too late on a Saturday and it's 12 p.m. and your mom bursts in your room and turns on the light and says, are you ever getting out of bed, you lazy bones? Um, so I had, to, I had to look at other translations of the Bible to compare. So just for context. Um, what I read to you was from the New Living Translation. The Amplified Version of the Bible uses the term, O Lazy One, and the King James Version of the Bible uses this term called Thou Sluggard. Thou Sluggard. <laughs> Sounds derogatory. <laughs> um, but all things considered, you, you, the, sum of all, the sum of all those phrases, we go, God's telling us about people who are reluctant to move. Right? And here we find God, he's being very direct. He's saying, take a lesson from the ants, which is humbling for us to read because immediately we, we compare. We go, ants? Ants? Those bugs that colonize in your kitchen? Those bugs? <laughs> ants are small. Humans are big. We compare. We go, like, God, obviously I'm, humans are, are, are greater, so clearly more significant. Ants are small. God, what do you mean take a lesson from the insignificant? Because I like to work hard. I'm sure you all would attest that you all work hard too. And culturally, more people are working now than ever before. I mean, if we look at statistics, North America, as of 2022, has a population of about 373 million people. And of those 373 million people, the unemployment rate is about 3.6%, which means that 367 
million of those people are employed. So <clears throat> on average, just, for, just to give you some, to, just to paint a picture, men work about 41 hours a week, women work about 34. However, if we add up all the unaccounted work that women do, I'm sure that number is a little bit higher. So let's say, on average, we work about 40 hours a week, okay? We divide that 40 hours by five days, Monday to Friday, that's an eight-hour work day. <clears throat> and most of us are awake for roughly 15 hours a day, which means we spend 53% of our waking hours at work. Now, track with me here. I know this is a lot of, it's a lot of information. So we go 53% of our day we spent at, spent at work. Let's add some more things in there. Let's go our commute. On average for people, Commute to work is normally 25 minutes. Multiply that by two to get there and back, that's another hour. Okay, once we get home from work, we've got things we have to do. We have to make dinner, have dinner, walk the dog, take care of kids, put kids to bed if you have kids. So let's add another three hours to that tally. Now that 53% of our day is 73% of our day that we're in some capacity at work or we're busy, okay? 73%. Now, if you're like me, maybe you might, if you like to stay active, maybe you might squeeze a workout in there, maybe in the morning or after work. If you have some extracurriculars you have to pay attention to, that could be an hour of your day. Or maybe you took some work home that you want to get a head start on so you have a more productive day at work. That could be an hour. Now that 73% is now 80%. 80% of our day that we're at work or we're in some capacity, busy. And then after all that, after all of that work is done, we go, I just want to disengage now. I just want to unplug. I just want to put my brain to rest. And thankfully, there's a new episode of something on Netflix. Oh, boy. Right? <clears throat> and there go our final few hours of the day. And if we're lucky, we might have 5% of our day left. Where in a perfect world, we might go, yeah, I pray during that 5%. I read my Bible during that 5%, but if we're being honest, most of us spend that 5% on this, our phones. We're busy. God, I'm busy. I don't understand these, these scriptures. What are you talking about, lazy? It's not, it's not adding up for me. <clears throat> maybe we, like, maybe if we, okay, maybe we go, maybe if we look at history, maybe if we look at history, we'll figure it out, because that's a half-decent, like, strategy, right? We look back to figure out how we've arrived. So if we take a look at history, let's look back to maybe 1900s, okay? During the 1900s, there was a shift in culture. We saw an economic boom where tech technological advances, we were, we were producing a mass amount of goods for a cheap amount for cheap labor, right? This was the cusp of the industrial, industrial revolution, okay? And it wasn't uncommon during those days to work a 12-hour day or up to a 16-hour day in a factory that was unsanitary and working conditions were very strict because there was only one thing on the agenda, it was produce more. We had to keep up with consumer demand. And then in 1926, a gentleman by the name of Henry Ford established the assembly line. He also put in place the 40-hour work week. He capped the week at 40 hours. We still utilize that to this day, right? Now notice the shift in behavior here. Up until this point, we had people that were working longer hours to produce more, we're kickstarting the economic boom in North America. Henry Ford steps in and he caps that. And we go, why? Why did he do that? If you were to ask him, he would have given you two answers. The first one was this. He realized 
that the longer people worked didn't necessarily mean they were being more productive. He figured that out. And the second was that he understood that if his employees worked less, that would encourage them to travel more, plan leisure activities, which means more people would buy more cars, which would lead to more sales. So in, the, in, in essence, Henry Ford discovers that if he, allow, if he allows his employees to work less, they'll feel empowered to consume more. And then in 1938, Congress, uh, along with other big businesses, they, they established the Labor Standards Act, which solidified the 40-hour work week as part, of, um, yeah, as part of legislation. And it also put in place a few things that we know today, like um, paid overtime, paid time off, minimum wage. And for some of us, if you get these two days off at the end of the week, it's called the weekend. That was all put in place during that time. But notice, notice the pivotal shift that we have to pay attention to here. From 1920 to 1940, our culture shifted from working to provide to working to consume. Here we find the birth of consumer culture. Now, as, we, as time progressed, it was only expected that technology would advance. Okay, technology would advance, we'd autonomize more jobs, we'd build more infrastructure, and we hoped that we would even peel, that, peel back that 40 hours a little bit more, right? Because we're getting more, we're progressing, right? We're, technology's getting better. We're, think, we're hoping, we're thinking we're gonna work less, we thought. Um, unfortunately, today we know that's not the case. Somehow between 1920 and 2022, we did figure out how to connect the population through the internet, but we're still working harder and we're working longer than we were back then. The Industrial Revolution represented a pivotal point in history for us. Yes, we established our modern-day working culture, but ultimately what we did was we cultivated this rhythm of working and consuming. We work hard so we can consume more. Biblically, we call this feeding the flesh. Okay? And in 2022, we've run into this problem where we're never, really, we're never done being fed. Okay? If you look at our culture, we go, we need to upgrade into the next thing all the time. We need new clothes for each season, right? Because my old clothes, those, those, are, those are out of date now, right? We need new cars. There's a new model of something coming out, so we need the next new thing. We've been convinced that we're never done being fed. Mark, uh, there's a Christian author by the name of Mark Sayers. He speaks to this, this issue very boldly. One of his quotes uh, is that consumerism is the worship of comfort and the avoidance of difficulty, I'll say that again. Consumerism is the worship of comfort and the avoidance of difficulty. When we work harder so we can consume more, we become fixated with making our lives more comfortable. So if we, sub if we substitute the word lazy out in scripture for comfortable, it speaks to us a little bit louder in 2022. God's saying, take a lesson from the ants. You're too comfortable. And here's why, I like the word, here's why I like the word comfortable instead of lazy. If you're a lazy person, um, I hope, most of us will reach a point where we feel a little discontent with our laziness. Like if you, if you haven't bathed in four days because you're too lazy, I hope you would eventually smell yourself and go, I need to address this. I need to address this situation. Um, 
we start to feel some, some dissonance, and eventually we feel like we have to do something, but comfortable. I don't know about you, but I can sit and be comfortable for a long, long time. Mark Sayer says, consumer culture is placeless yet pervasive. It is the water in which we swim. Comfort is lazy's ugly cousin because <clears throat> a lot of us just don't realize how comfortable we, we are. We, we swim in it. Our culture swims in being comfortable. So now we have like an interesting, we have an interesting feedback loop where we go, we're busy 80% of our day so we can spend 20% of it comfortable and almost none of it with God. In 2022, the lie we're believing is that there's no, God, there's no possible way I could be lazy because I'm so busy. But the problem we're running into is that although we may be busy, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're being productive. And God's not fooled by our busyness. Proverbs 6 is still relevant today. Whichever way you spin it, whether it's lazy or comfortable, I think the point God's trying to make is that we are not moving. So if we as individuals aren't moving, the only other obvious question is, is the church moving? Isn't it remarkable, isn't it remarkable that we've, we've progressed to the point that we can host church online, which means nobody really has to move. There's a hot take for you. Ooh, conversation for another day. If you're sitting watching online, please don't leave. <coughs> um, but even that word, even that word progressive is, is interesting. I think today it's the, most, it's the most aspirational word of our generation, progressive. And I struggle, I struggle with the word progressive. Um, because I think that all too often we confuse doing more with moving forward. And the more I think about it, I feel like we're caught in this spell where we go, where you go, I, I'm, I'm doing more, so I must be moving forward. But I just, I don't think those two concepts mean the same thing. We've bought into this lie that we're doing more, so we must be accomplishing more. But really, what we're doing is we're consuming more, which is leading to our Discontent. Remember, four million people quit their jobs last year, one month. So if our entire perspective around work is centered around our comfort, our definition and God's definition of work simply can't really mean the same thing. There are some, there are some really good um, synonyms that relate to comfort. I just want to break down this word comfort even, even further. Um, let's assume for a second <clears throat> that being comfortable is a precursor to being, to being content. Now, I know we all love to be content. Um, being content is tricky because even in the Bible, God, God tells us to be content with, with our possessions. And today, if you come across someone who isn't hyper-anxious about this issue or that crisis, we go, man, you look really content. Like, that sounds, that looks good. Like, content looks good on the surface, but the, the double-edged the double sword of being content is if you look at someone who's content, oftentimes they don't really have plans to go anywhere. They're content, fine with how things are. No need to move forward or backward. They are content. Which means that eventually, if we settle into contentment, we're really just one step away from becoming stagnant. Stagnant means to be stuck. It means we have no ability to move forward. And 
reluctantly, what happens is we oftentimes just end up moving backward. Which leads me to say this, that being comfortable is the cancer we're suffering from in 2022. There's a really, uh, there's a really great quote by um, another pastor. His name's Mike Todd, and he says this. He says that if you don't confront your comfort, you will cater your whole life to it. I'll say that again. If you don't confront your comfort, you will cater your whole life to it. And isn't that what we're doing nowadays? Are we busy? Yes, for the right reasons. No, we've forgotten why we work. God says poverty will pounce on us like a bandit. And I know that feels like a far cry in 2022. We go, poverty pounce. Um, but let me give you another statistic that's, that's, that's alarming. <clears throat> the average family in North America has $7,000 in consumer credit card debt on average. Collectively, North Americans have $86 billion in consumer debt. $86 billion. And that, and to your surprise, $86 billion, that's actually a decrease from what it's normally been. Normally, in past years, it's in like the $90 billion range. You go $86 billion spent on, on comfort. Meanwhile, we're living in a homeless epidemic. We've got people who are living in poverty. Real economic suffering in our, in our world today. So now... We've put handcuffs on ourselves. We go, first, we love to be comfortable, which means our capacity for progress is minimal. And since we love comfort so much, we've decided that we'll go into debt in order to stay comfortable. So now we have to work harder in order to maintain the level of comfort that we like to have. So let's, let's identify what an armed bandit could look like. If you are living in debt, inevitably you're paying off interest. What is interest? Interest is money owed, no, sorry, yeah, money owed to pay for money lent. Lord have mercy. <clears throat> we've reached, here's the point, we've reached this point where we're willing to self-sabotage in order to keep ourselves stagnant. God says poverty will pounce like a bandit, which is fantastic news for the devil, Right? Satan loves that, we, loves that we do this, right? Because here's the truth. Self-sabotaging, comfortable, consumer Christians are not a threat. Consumer Christians are not a, th- not a threat. Think about this. Why, why would Satan tremble for any reason in 2022? Right? We're just self-destructing. We're doing it to ourselves. All Satan has to do is just sprinkle a little self-doubt over there, sprinkle some temptation over there, and then just wipe his hands and be on his way. That's light work. That's light work for Satan, and that's terrible news for us if we don't make a change. Now, now that we're all depressed, <clears throat> now that we've figured out how we've, we've got here, we've established the problem, okay? We're feeding the flesh, which is leading to all these terrible consequences. Let's try to uncover what God expects of us. All right, why does God expect that we work in the first place? Right? Why doesn't God say, go be, go be nomads and live in Hawaii and, and, and live on the beach and do yoga all day like those hippie people and whatnot? <clears throat> um, let's, let's look at history again. Okay? If we look at Genesis 1, we can see that from the beginning, God gives Adam and Eve responsibilities. Right? He, says, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. 
So even before sin enters the world, we see that God commands Adam and Eve to work, which should remind us that that work itself is not this evil conspiracy, right? It's actually part of a a natural natural order. Work is something that we don't don't dismiss or or, or run away from. We, We embrace it, right? It's always been part of the mission from the start. God tells Adam and Eve to bring culture and civilization into being. They were instructed to bring God's presence into the world with nothing more than what they had. And the cool part is God gives us that same mission. Right? We're all blessed with unique gifts, and if you're not sure what your gift is, you can meet me at our next steps table, and we can, we can help figure that out. Um, because when we discover what our gifts are, God tells us to leverage those gifts and bring his presence into the world. How? How do we do that? With our work. When we step into our calling and we utilize our gifts, we get the opportunity to represent God. So, what is our calling? To bring God's, pres- to bring God's presence. How do we do that? Through our commitment to work. What do we use? Our uniquely given gifts. When do we do it? Every waking hour of the day. Why? Why do we do that? For people who don't know him. Speaking of people who don't know him, um, for those of you that don't know, I work in customer service, which is a phenomenal job. Um, Every day I get to speak to lovely people who tell me that I'm trash. (laughs) For some reason, for some reason or another. (laughs) On On a typical day, I know, so bear with me, on a typical day, on a typical day, I know there is a 100% chance, 100% chance that I'll have, I will have a very specific conversation with someone, and I know it so well that I'm going to reenact it for you here today to make a point, okay? You ready? My work, my work day starts about 9.30. Normally, this, it's a shame if I have to have this conversation first thing, but here it is. I pick up the phone. Hi, this is Todd speaking. How can I help you? Can I, can I get your email? Oh, perfect. Thank you. What's the, what's the problem today? Oh, okay. You're, you checked your bank account for the first time in two years? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Oh, you've been getting charged. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, so sorry. Let's take a look at that, that account for you, okay? Yes, ma'am. It looks like you still have an active membership. Did you want to cancel that? Oh, you want a refund? Oh, no, sorry, ma'am, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get a refund, no. Well, ma'am, did you get the emails that were sent? Oh, no, you don't check your emails either, eh? Yeah, yeah I, can see how that's, I can see how that's my fault. Uh, uh, yeah, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll do better next time. Ma'am, ma'am by chance, does, does, your, does, your, uh, does your dentist uh, call to remind you to brush your teeth? Oh, I mean, sorry, uh, I, I said, was there anything else you need? Was there anything else you need? Oh, right. Uh, you still want a refund, okay? All right. Let me put you on brief hold. I'll see. I'll see what I can do. Okay. Okay. Hi, ma'am. You still there? Yeah, I just spoke to a supervisor. Okay, I've got some great news, ma'am. Great news. Um, I didn't get approved for a refund, but 
ma'am, I've got something even better. I've got something even better. The Lord has given me a verse that speaks directly to this situation. If you have five minutes, hello? Hello? And that is how you invite the Lord into your work, <laughs> people. Works every time. Works every time. Just pass the baton and the Lord done lift the load. <laughs> I'm just, I'm semi-joking about how those conversations go. Um, <laughs> but my point is, my point is that although we have gifts, we have, to, we have to be prepared to meet opposition, right? Because nowhere in the Bible does it say that the work will be easy, right? Nowhere does it say that we will have control over the outcome. <clears throat> to the contrary, Jesus actually says, the world will hate you um, because it hated me first, which is reassuring. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and the Bible says this, the Bible says to, to love and forgive our enemies, and, and the reality of that is, you go, where are we most likely to meet our enemies? It's at work. Um, which means we've got we've to build, build up some stamina to take on, to take on God's mission. <clears throat> right? How do we do that? I'm so glad you asked. Um, <clears throat> church, we've got to get used to being comfortably uncomfortable. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean that you work so much that you're so stressed out that you burn out. That's not what that means. All that means is that thing that you never want to do, but you should do, you need to do. <laughs> to put it simply, right? And then once you get used to doing that thing, we self-audit ourselves. We go, okay, God, what is that thing that I don't want to do, that I should do, that I need to do, right? And then we, we just get used to identifying those difficult areas, and we just take action. We do it often, right? Which I know is easier said than done. But the problem with being too comfortable is that if you're comfortable for too long, your capacity for pain just hits the floor, right? <clears throat> and then we start to do this really ugly thing where our weakness manifests into complaining, victimhood, running from responsibility, just laziness in general. Meanwhile, God's calling out for leaders, people who will embody him, people who persevere, people who actually look at what's ahead, people who look at what's ahead, and see adversity and go, time to go. <clears throat> but here's what we do, unfortunately. We, we take a look at what's ahead, and we see adversity and problems, and we go, not a chance. <clears throat> and we go the other way, <clears throat> right? Oh, shoot, sorry. Um, here's the secret about leadership that no one really likes to, that's okay, I got it, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Here's the secret about leadership that no one likes, likes to share, okay? <clears throat> leadership does not get easier. We have to get stronger, That's right. right? Why? Because the world needs you. The coworker you don't get along with needs you. That customer that won't leave you alone needs you. That student that needs that little extra push needs you. That terminally ill patient needs you. God expects us to show up for those people. That is the mission. Now, I know some of us, some of us probably still aren't on board. Um, culturally, we, we've been conditioned to seek fulfillment uh, in our work and that our job should gratify us. And I'm also not naive to the fact that some of us might work in less than ideal 
circumstances. There's an author by the name of Cal, Cal Newport, and uh, he speaks to these two different um, perspectives that most people have when it comes to their work. He says that most people fall in a certain camp while less fall in another. And the first, he says that most people approach their work with a passion-focused mindset. What that means is you look to your work to fulfill your passion, or you, work to, you look to your work to fulfill you. This mindset is based off of this concept of if you find the right job, you'll never work a day in your life. You go, that's convenient. <coughs> um, but he says the, the problem is when we, when we rely on what we do to dictate who we are, we rely, on, sorry, we rely on what we do to dictate who we are. That's why we see, that's why we get so caught up on trying to strive for that promotion or that job title or X amount of money because we think that those things are going to fill that hole in us that's desperately searching for meaning and purpose and, and fulfillment. So we go, that, that job title will do that. that. That raise will do that. That admiration will solidify my identity. And what Cal argues is that <clears throat> when you approach your work like this, it's not the quickest road to fulfillment. It's actually the quickest road to discontentment. Um, because inevitably, inevitably what happens is when you focus on when you fo- try and focus so much on what your work will do for you or hot take what the church will do for you, inevitably you just end up hyper-focused on what it doesn't do for you. A better perspective, he says, is to approach your work with a craftsmanship mindset. And what that is, is it's, it's contrary to being passion-focused. He says a craftsmanship mindset shifts our focus from what can my work do for me to what do I bring to my work. He argues that being a craftsman forces us to leave our self-centered, self-centered ambition behind and instead focus on molding and refining our gifts, putting our heads down and just becoming meticulous with our gifting to the point where we become exceptional and then the Holy Spirit gets to be put on full display for the world to see. I love this idea because what this does is it shifts, it shifts our perspective from being consumers to being contenders, and contending just means to fight for something. We shift from a place of entitlement to a place of accountability and responsibility, and instead of seeking what the world can offer, we go, what do I actually bring into the world? Contending puts God back in the the driver's seat in the flesh in the rear view mirror. We need stamina to do God's work, but we also need the right perspective. Now, there's, um, there's one last concept that I want to speak to, and I, I think it might be the most, in, most important. At this point, we've, we've discussed what our problem is, why we're too comfortable and entitled. We've addressed that we need stamina and perspective. And I know some of you might be in the room thinking, okay, but like, where does rest come into play? Right? And the verse says, God says, ants labor hard all summer. And we go, God, I prefer to take summers off. God, I booked the cottage already. <clears throat> right? <clears throat> and I'd agree, we're not designed to burn out. Um, but I just want to speak to this, to this uh, and acknowledge this conversation about rest <clears throat> and just say this. Generally, North Americans don't rest well. <clears throat> okay, why? Because rest and comfort, comfort and restoration are not the same thing. 
Okay? Comfort and restoration are not the same thing. From a biblical perspective, let's not forget that God actually invites us into rest. Right? Matthew, Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. But here's the kicker. God can't give us rest if we try to do everything in our own strength. Right? It's hard for God to walk alongside us and help carry the weight of our work if we treat God like an external hard drive. Right. And all too often we forget that the Holy Spirit actually lives in us. <clears throat> right? And we can harness the Holy Spirit at any moment, but if we're too concerned with doing things on our own strength, then yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll burn out. Why? Because we were never designed to do it all ourselves to begin with. If, I, if you identify as a Christian in the room, let me, re- let me remind you that the, the prerequisite to rest is relationship. Scrolling through our phones at 9 p.m. isn't resting, it's escaping. Right? Watching Netflix until 1 a.m. and then falling asleep on the couch isn't resting, it's escaping. Which forces us to address the following things. We go, do we read our Bibles like it's an option or like it's a priority? Do we pray like it's an option or a priority? Do we set boundaries around Sabbath Set real boundaries, because oftentimes we go, you go, we're busy, we're busy, we're busy, and often my first question is, what boundaries, real boundaries do you set around Sabbath, where you go, this is impenetrable? And what non-screen-related activities do we do that actually restore us? Comfort and restoration are not the same thing. So now we get to decide. We always get to decide. The end of every sermon, every end of every co-group, every conversation, we're left with a decision, right? Most of us will wake up on Monday morning and we'll get to decide, we'll get to go, okay, am I going to do this all in my own strength? Am I going to continue to try and find fulfillment and meaning in my own power without God? Or am I going to repent and wake up and go, God, what do you want to do through me today? And then we invite God into that. And we invite God into those moments that are hard and difficult, all those moments that you go, I don't want to do this. You go, God, can you walk with me through this? All right, we set forth on God's mission to rejuvenate the world with his presence. We ask God what he wants to accomplish through us. And then we pray for strength. We pray for courage and compassion so that we can reach people the way God intended. I'm going to repeat a section from, from earlier because I, I think it's important and I just don't want, I just don't want us to forget. <clears throat> what is our calling? To bring God's presence. How do we do that? Through our commitment to work. What do we use? Our uniquely given gifts. When do we do it? Every, every waking hour of the day. Why? For those who don't know him. If you're in the room today and you've had a rough week, Maybe you're exhausted and you've been working within your own strength and you're hurting. I want to take a moment and remind you that God sees you and he wants better for you. Um, as the church, I want to invite you, to, I want to invite you in and, and encourage you to connect with us because we want, to, we want to create a community where we walk through that with you, where we represent God and we help you through your work. <clears throat> and if you're in the room and you're like me and you understand that maybe... Maybe you've been comfortable for too long. 
I want to encourage you to just snap out of it. In the most loving way possible, snap out of it. Um, <clears throat> let this be your reminder that you, weren't, you're not, you were not created to just work, consume, sleep, and then die. If God woke you up this morning, he is not done. If you need a support system or a community to hold you accountable, the church can do that. Let us connect with you or connect with us. Meet us at our next steps table. That's where I'll, that's where I'll be afterwards. Lastly, I want to remind you that whether you're a vice president or you work at McDonald's and you toss fries like Jesus is coming up the drive-thru, <clears throat> there's, no, there's no degree of service that's too big or too small for God. The work you show up to do in whatever capacity matters. Acts 20, verse 22, Paul says this. He says, I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll, we'll worship. Dear God, I just want to ask that you... Lord, you come into the lives of each and every one of us <clears throat> here today. And God, I just ask that you remind us why we work, why we show up for the people who don't know you. And Lord, I just ask that you rejuvenate us. Lord, shift our perspective so we're realigned with what you expect. And Lord, remind us that the external validation, the, all the things that the world tries to convince us that we need or that we have to have in order to be whole, Lord, I just ask that you dispel those, you dispel those, um, those addictions or whatever that may be, Lord, and remind us that we are on your mission. Lord, we're on your mission to, to bring your presence into the world, to rejuvenate the world, Lord. And Lord, I just, <clears throat> I just ask that... Um, whether it's the people in the room or the people online, Lord, I just ask that you empower us to do your work in this upcoming week. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you Sunday.